Are we, are we just trying to patter patter? Are we having can patter or non can patter? You did tell me you lived and worked in Busan for a little while, but you did not tell me it was overrun by zombies. It's a little known fact about Korea that it's completely overrun by zombies. Something most people don't know. Um, this, I did not know this. It shows, it really shows Western ignorance of Asian cultures that people don't know this about Korea. I am, I am truly ashamed of myself <laughs> for not knowing this. Recorded in our Nerdhaven studios, this is Pop Medieval, your host, Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina McIntyre, discussing the intersection of medieval literature and pop culture on a semi-weekly basis. And now, back to your podcast. What, Nina? What, Doc? Uh, how are things going? I am amazed and shocked and terrified, and I think I peed a little, because I just, I finished up a show on Netflix called Kingdom. Thanks to your recommendation. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe we should be clear. We're talking about the show's name is just Kingdom, not the Kingdom. Kingdom. Not the King and not the Last Kingdom. It's just Kingdom. Right? Just Kingdom. Just Kingdom. From 2019. Yes. It's a Korean costume drama. Thriller, conspiracy thriller with zombies. Medieval costume drama. Yes. See, we're, we don't just cover European medieval pop culture on pop medieval. We, we cover the gambit of medieval pop culture here on pop medieval. So a few weeks ago, I was having a conversation with someone who asked me something about Tang, uh, Tang Dynasty medieval uh, text. Um, and I said, I don't I know nothing about that. And. Uh, he said to me, well, you're the person I go to about these things because you're the one who knows about Asian medieval stuff. And I thought that that's really sad <laughs> because of what, because I don't this feel like I know very to much. Expand his horizons. Yes. Well, next uh, uh, to pull aside the, the veil a little bit. Um, in a few months, I'm supposed to have a scholar, depends on all sorts of things, a scholar from China who's going to come work with me for the next year. Uh, and we're going to be working on some Tang Dynasty, which is uh, medieval Chinese stuff. This is, of course, Korea, not Chinese stuff. But So hopefully in another year or two, I'll be less ignorant than I am at the moment. Uh, but right now, uh, just... If people are hoping to get deeply schooled in this, I can only school up to a certain level. At that point, I don't know any more. But you are very schooled in Chosan Dynasty era. Yeah, I mean medieval politics. <laughs> it's super complicated, but yeah. So um, again, you know, I'm not a historian, and I'm particularly not a historian of uh, Korean medieval history. But I do know a little bit. Just from my own interest, I, I just I, I've lived in Korea, uh, worked there for some years. Um, Speak Korean. I can butcher that language as well as I can butcher a lot of things. Uh, so you can probably rely. Like pretty, you can butcher a corpse. Yes, you yes you can rely on my pronunciations in this one. That that one you're pretty good on. Uh, yeah. So um, so the setting of this is the is a, a period that we call the Chosun Dynasty. And basically, it's the period when Korea is finally unified. There's earlier, there are times of different kingdoms and the time there's three kingdoms. In fact, Korea, the word Korea comes from Goria, which is one of the one of the three main kingdoms of Korea. And so, uh, you know, in the in the late 14th century, like very late 14th century, um, we move into the Chosun dynasty and that dynasty lasts until uh, 1897. And then we enter into a period we call the Korean empire, though, honestly, that's 1897 in 1902, the Japanese take over, which is only five years. So if you want to just basically consider the, the late middle ages time. all the way up until the, the Japanese colonial period, pretty much that's right. the Chosun dynasty. Yeah. This is a very long stretch of history. Yeah, it is. And it and a lot of it takes place in um so a lot of the Chosun dynasty is not in in terms of time it doesn't match up with or sorry, uh, it doesn't match up with the western 
Middle Ages exactly. So, for example, I think that this is supposed to take place in the 17th century um, because... Yeah, that's that's modern times. For yeah, us. it's modern times for us. Uh, and, I mean, we're not deep in the... I mean, like America, the U.S. hasn't been founded yet or anything, but the settlement's happening. Um, but part of what happens in the later Joseon Dynasty, because there's a, a reference in one of the episodes where... Uh, one of the characters talks about these two disastrous wars. And so basically there's war, the Manchu Wars. I don't want to get into that mostly because I'm not super expert in them. Um, but after that time is when Korea really becomes what we later call the Hermit Kingdom. And so this is during that time. So, But, but, but aside from the fact that it matches up in time with the modern era in the West, uh, you know, if you're watching this, it clearly is the, the social structures, the the weaponry, everything is exactly how we think of the Middle Ages. This is I, I would definitely call this medieval Korea in the same way that like, you know, the, the modern period, we can mark certain dates. But like the changes even in Europe don't all happen at the same time. Uh, right. And so I would assume the costumes would match up too. yes. Yeah, that's right. So. So the. The Joseon dynasty runs from the late, late 14th century all the way up almost almost to the 20th century, uh, really close to the 20th century. And then and this takes place somewhere in the I mean, 17th century, kind of in the middle of that, I think. Uh, as far as I can tell, these are not actual these are not based on actual historical characters. I mean, besides the fantastical elements, I don't think it's supposed to be alleged that this happened at a certain time. But Joseon Dynasty is also kind of famously a time where there's a lot of political infighting and it's a little bit like I mean, it, it's a whole dynasty, not like a not like a single moment, but it, it reminds me a little bit like War of the Roses where mm -hmm. for like Game of Thrones, people would say, well, this is based on the War of the Roses. So what can you tell me about that? And my answer would be like, well, it's so complicated. I don't know. Like, I don't know how you would match it up. And so a lot of the Chosen yeah, Dynasty stuff is This family is fighting with this family. Right. And this family is claiming this right to the throne. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on. And that's that's kind of evident from the very first ep episode that there's, there's a lot of conspiracy going on. Because this, right from the first 10 minutes of the first episode, you, you know that you're in for not just another costume drama, not just from, not just another zombie show or zombie movie, but this is, you're going to have to figure out what's going on and, and who's going to backstamp whom uh, right from the get-go. Okay, so Nina, so do you want to talk about our, the spoiler policy, which I don't know if this is going to yes. be a permanent one, but for this episode, while we're testing this out. Mm -hmm. So we're going to try our best not to spoil too much. We do have to, for the sake of this episode, for the sake of this podcast episode, we're going to have to talk about the first episode of Kingdom. Um, we are not going to spoil the ending, but the eh, we're going to have to get into something because mm -hmm. this is this is not your your typical zombie fair, mm -hmm. and this is not your typical costume drama and. This is not your typical thriller. Have I said typical enough? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but there, it's impossible to talk about this show without really getting into it. You, we just can't. And uh, we were ta discussing this show beforehand, before we started recording. Um, we are going to have to spoil some of this. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to probably split this episode into two parts. So we are going to do a mostly spoiler-free episode for this episode. Does that make any sense? Yeah, this will be a, uh, this episode will be mostly spoiler-free. We're just yes. going to give enough information. I, I think what we will spoil is stuff that you find out in the first five minutes of the first episode, more or less. Yes. There's a couple things which come out, but they're not super shocking. Right. And then we're going to do a shorter bonus episode where we really get into it, uh, where we do pull all the spoilers and really just <laughs> spoil that last episode. Right. And the rest of the show, because we have to. If we're going to we're going to discuss theme and we're going to discuss expectation, uh, we're going to have to spoil the rest of the show. Right. So if you are interested in Kingdom, but you haven't seen it, um, or even if you have seen it, uh, you can feel free to listen to this episode and 
everything that we talked about in this episode should only enhance your understanding and enjoyment of it. Yes. And then come back and listen to our bonus spoiler episode afterward. Uh, or if you've already heard it, then listen to this and then you can listen to the bonus spoiler episode and then you can get into all those details. And that way you don't have to cut it off in the middle of the episode. We'll have a, a kind of a separate episode uh, for that. So, yes. so don't go away. If you're afraid of being spoiled, you're not going to be spoiled in this one. There we go. All right. So I guess we should talk about the first episode. We should really break that down and okay. give a, a general overview of what happens. Um, so it, it starts off that uh, the king of this dynasty, he has not been seen in 10 days. He's been very, very sick, uh, reportedly with smallpox. And the only people who have seen him and the only people who have been reporting that he's been sick uh, have been his wife, the queen, who she's, she's pretty young, um, and who we learn uh, is Minister Cho. And I'm not quite sure. What, what is his position, Minister Cho? He seems to be the head minister. Because um, he's not so, one of the Confucian scholars. No, he's not. Uh, one of the, the background here seems to be that the king married someone from a rival political faction to, to unite the country. Uh, and so he marries Minister Cho's daughter. So I guess you could say Minister Cho is the, would be the second most powerful person in the kingdom. Yes. Um, something, now, if something that, yeah, that, that may be a spoiler for some people. I know that was kind of a shock to me. Um, but cause I, I didn't find that out. I, I, maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention. I didn't realize that the queen was Cho's daughter until a couple of episodes in. But I, I'm guessing that that was supposed to be very clear from the start. I, I understood. I understood that they were in the same family. Um, okay. The first time I listened to it, I oh gosh, I'll have to, I'll have to rewatch it. I watched the, the 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 dubbed version the first time, and I started rewatching it in the subtitled version. And so I didn't look to see like, uh, I wasn't listening. I was cooking, <laughs> so I wasn't listening to see <laughs> how she referred to him when she talked to him. Um, but I think it. I think it's supposed to be clear from the very beginning that they're in the same family, and they're yeah, from the same political clear. faction. Okay. And but what's not a spoiler is that she is less than a month away from giving birth to the king's child, and presumably right. a son. Expectedly, she's going to have a son by the king, and they're therefore cementing the the Cho's dynasty right. within this family. Um, but. You know, all is hunky-dory. The king is just sick with smallpox. He's been sick for 10 days, and no one has seen him but the queen and Minister Cho. Um, but no one has seen him other than, really, these two people and their servants. And the crown prince, who is his, the king's adult son, who is roughly the same age as the queen, has been wanting to see his father, but the queen hasn't allowed anyone to see him and under the under the, the the assumption that no he's got smallpox and is very very sick and can't see anyone but he's okay he's totally okay guys he's fine everything is fine and this is something that i think it gets said explicitly at the second episode i think in the korean audience is supposed to understand this immediately and it can be a little confusing so the crown prince uh who's an adult is the is the illegitimate son of the king, but he's the only son of the king. And so the, the, the threat at the beginning is if the king dies before the baby is born, then the crown prince, even though he's illegitimate as the only son of the king becomes king. However, uh, if the king lives and the queen gives birth to a son, that is now a legitimate child and the crown prince no longer is the heir apparent. He becomes the heir presumptive and the child then would become, uh, presumably would become king and even worse for the crown prince because he's of a different political faction. If the king manages to survive just long enough for the, for a son to be born, 
that son becomes king, but then there needs to be a regent because the son is a baby, and the regent would presumably be Minister Cho. We one assumes mm-hmm. the child would be Minister yeah. Cho. So when the king dies is the kind of central thing. And and this is all revealed in the first few minutes, but I think um I think it might be not clear to to a lot of American and Western viewers exactly what the back and forth is and what the threat is. Right. And it's it's very political because the next scene is there's a piece of paper, a memo or a billboard that's being ripped off of a wall somewhere in Hanyang, which is what we call modern day Seoul. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and it's yeah, it's the the um, and it's not Korean they're writing in. It's I, I think it's Chinese. I, I don't think they had adopted Korean just yet, if I'm. If I'm not mistaken. So I think this is supposed to be after King Sejong. So Korean has its own writing system, but you still have a lot of writing that will be, this is assuming I have placed it right in where it's supposed to be in history. It's hard to say, Mm -hmm. Um, but they're writing using the Chinese letters, but what you'd be reading would be Korean in, in the Chinese characters. Oh, okay. I think Uh, so. Okay. yeah. Yeah. So I was trying to read it. I was like, I don't recognize that as being Korean. And I, and I would say also, I, like I said, I'm not, I'm not a historian of this period, but there are some of the machinations that occurred over the centuries of this dynasty involve people getting in trouble because they put up posters, uh, that putting up posters to, to rile up dissent was a thing that happened and resulted in bad things sometimes. Yes. And this bad thing that they're writing is something like the king is dead, long live the crown prince. Yes. And so already there's some unrest and this is this is treason. And well, this is only treason if the king. This is the tricky part. If the king is dead, dead. then it's not treason. But if the king is alive, but just sick, then it is treason. Right. And so what Prime Minister Cho assumes or what he believes is he believes that one of the Confucian scholars or the scholars as as they refer to them mm-hmm. uh, he believes that there is some conspiracy to commit treason on the king who is very much alive he just has smallpox everyone um, yeah and this is a, this is so, a thing which 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 happens you occasionally have these period of purges of Confucian scholars that happen in the Confucian scholars can at times in the chosen dynasty get pretty powerful and then you've got like they, do, they are a real political force. Uh, and yeah. sometimes there are these kind of purges against them, which is one of the things that we see is kind of threatened here. So what Minister Cho has done is he has all of the Confucian scholars arrested and tortured at the like simultaneously has them all arrested and tortured to get them to reveal their their source who's behind this whole treasonous plot yeah who's to, who's the leader of yeah. this treason who's this ring who's this ringleader and though they they admit yeah we we want the crown or they believe that the king is dead and we want the crown prince to uh be the new king they don't reveal who is behind the treason even under this really gross torture scene and uh, the the head of the guard happens to be cho's son the queen's brother um, and that's that's a mild spoiler, but that's it's that's a non-issue really. Yeah. Um, but and I didn't catch his name, so I just refer to him as Jerkwad because he's <laughs> he is he's a villain. Quite a, yes, yeah, he is. He's definitely a villain. I suddenly can't remember his name either, uh, but it'll be clear to viewers who he is. Yeah, he's he's not hard to miss. He's he's an unpleasant person. Um, but uh, he's yeah, he'll be an antagonist for a little while. But uh, so he's yeah he's behind the the torture and he's behind arresting all the the, the Confucian scholars. But uh, anyway, um, the crown prince is still very suspicious about his father being alive, and he recruits his bodyguard. I believe yep. that's the, the, the relationship. Yeah, his personal, have. the head of his personal guard. Yeah, Mu Yang, mm-hmm. his name is, and he's my favorite character in this. And it starts off, Mu Yan is kind of a uh, comic relief type character. Yeah. 
But then that kind of fades throughout the series. He's more, it's like, I think around the third episode when he starts to realize that the, that the monsters, as they refer, they don't, re they don't say zombies right. in, in either the, the dub or I, I assume they don't say it in, in the, the subbed version I of don't, the show. I don't think I remember. They just refer to them as, yeah. yeah, they just say monsters, but, um. And as I mentioned, the Korean word for zombie is jombie. So, uh, <laughs> so even if they did, it wouldn't be that shocking. Right. But I, his comic relief character kind of fades away and he, he starts to be more serious and, and take on a more serious role throughout the series. But no, he's, he's still my favorite character. Um, but he recruits Mi Young to help him out. And he's going he's gonna to have Mi Young break into the king's infirmary to steal the, the doctor's logbooks while uh, he himself, the, the prince, is going to break into the palace itself and try to see his father. And uh, there's the, something I like about the show is that there's, there's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of, lot of, of sword work and there's a lot of you know, mm. punching and kicking. And, and eventually later on, there, there are rifles that someone yes. is shooting with rifles. But there's not a lot of... For a show that has zombies in it there's not a lot of uh like wire works and there's not a lot of everyone suddenly is able to use martial arts or aikido in in this show it, it's very much meat and potatoes and the people who who appear to be trained to use swords and and fight and have a fighting style uh that makes sense yeah so well, I, I, I really appreciate the show for for <laughs> what is realistic about the show is what's realistic Yes. And, and the zombies aside and Korean like Korean TV is full of these kinds of costume dramas. And mm -hmm. so if you're wondering how the costuming looks, it will be. It oh, is my gosh. Top the costumes notch. on the show. Yeah. Yes. Just, I could talk for an hour about the hats and the headwear. Just how just how amazing everything looks on this show yeah. and the the architecture. I'm I'm assuming everything is partially a set and partially green screen. But uh, just it, everything on the show looks amazing. It might be almost all sets because there are so many that. medieval costume dramas in on Korean TV. They might just have all these sets just waiting around to be to be yeah. bought or rented or, or I, whatever. I'd 100 percent believe that. Yeah. But I, uh, well, I guess I, I disappointed you and Engineer Mike because the hats are, of course, wonderful. I actually don't know the details of like what hats <laughs> signify, but Korean hats, like if you uh, in these costume dramas, are always this wonderful. So if you like, if you like that, uh, there's, there's see the Crown Prince and Mi Young. They are serious zombie killing machines in the show, and they never lose their hats. I mean, they they will remove their hats, yeah. but when they are fighting with their hats on, they never fall off. It's it's incredible. So. Where do the zombies come in? They, this is where you first see one. You see one, well, I'll get to that. You see one at the very beginning. Yeah, the, um, the opening credits, the, actually. Yeah, the opening right. credits, right. yeah. Um, you see who it turns out to be the doctor who will play a more important role later on in the first episode. Uh, he and his assistant are approaching what turns out to be the king. And the doctor turns to his assistant and says, you must not look upon the king. Then a split second later, you see two rotten, mangled arms reach out and grab the assistant and pull him under a curtain. And that's the last you see of the assistant. Yeah. So you see that. And then you see when uh, Prince, the crown prince, whose name is Chang, he sneaks into the palace very successfully and he has to hide from the guards. And as he's hiding, he sees the shadow of what looks like his father. But the shadow is monstrous. It's slumped and it's snarling and it nearly attacks him. So we know we've got two scenes now where it's very evident that his father is really no longer alive. We know as the audience that this is his father is not human anymore. He right. is... A zombie. And, but this is a thing which they don't like. They he, don't know. They don't yes. know. And this is. Yes. They don't know what a zombie irony. is. Right. That This right. is not a thing. Which. Right. Which leads to a kind of weird like throughout the season. I found myself wondering 
like, what was the long term? Like, like I understood the if we could just get him get him going for another month, if we could just keep him semi alive, <laughs> arguably alive for another month. Uh, although we'll talk more about details of that later, I suppose, in the yeah. next episode. Uh, like, I- I'm not sure, like, what the plan was then. If they even understood what they were asking for when they had him zombified. Uh, it, it seems to me maybe they didn't understand what they're asking for. They just thought they were temporarily prolonging his life or something. Mm, um, yeah. Again, we'll have to save that discussion for the spoiler. Yeah. But, but so it is not we, a spoiler to say that once you zombify one person, things don't go well. <laughs> that That is true. And that's the case in all zombie movies yes. and television shows. Uh, it tends to be contagious zombie viruses. Yes, it does. So he gets caught and, you know, guard jerkwad catches him and escorts him out. Right. And Being the crown prince, they can't really do much more than, than, right. than escort him out. And meanwhile, while he has been sneaking around the palace, uh, Miyoung has sneaked into the royal infirmary and he looks through the logbooks and he finds out that the doctor... From the very beginning uh, that I just told you about, he uh, hadn't updated the logbooks uh, since the king's condition or the king's condition worsened. And so there's this gap in time. Right. And they find that very, very suspicious. And around the same time, Minister Cho decides, well, he's going to he, he thinks that the. Uh, Crown Prince, I believe this is how it happened. My memory is starting to slip. He believes the Crown Prince is actually behind the treason that is going around with the Confucian scholars, and he wants to have the Crown Prince arrested. Right. Uh, but before he can arrest the Crown Prince, uh, Miyun and the Crown Prince, they sneak out. They dress, they change their clothing to another set of beautiful purple <laughs> robes and another incredible hat. Uh, and they they leave. They leave the city of Hanyang, and uh, they are going to head to uh, a place called Julyang. Is that the pronunciation? I think I think that is. Yeah, I, I actually don't think that's a real place. Um, they say a couple times. They say a couple times that they're going to Dongne, and so just to give people a sense of geography, because it might not be clear, Hanyang would be so Korea would be more or less unified as we think of North and South Korea today, more or less, mm-hmm. right? Hanyang being, would be where Seoul is today, so it's right in the middle. And they're going to Busan. Busan is currently the second largest city in Korea, I think, unless the, uh, and that's the city I used to live in, one of the cities I lived in. And so Dongne, at this time, appears to have been a separate village. Uh, now it's a, it's a district in Busan because Busan has gotten so much bigger. It's it's become part of it. Um, I lived closer. I lived a close, little closer to the uh, coast, uh, and I lived close to the beach when I lived in Busan. Um, but Dongne, I've taken buses through there many times. I had to deal with the zombies every time. It's a big <laughs> big issue. Um, so the geography, I think, isn't clear. If you don't already know this. This is a big journey they're going on. Uh, and yeah. so, and the two, I, I think only really the only two main places are Seoul or Hanyang and its environs and Busan or Dongne and its environs. And everything occurs basically in those two locations, which are pretty far away from one another. And, and the Korean audience would definitely know this. Right. Because they, they mentioned at one point, um, Muyang, he turns to the crown prince and says that's like 300 kilometers or he, yeah he makes a mention of it and i yeah it is really yeah, far it, yeah it's really really far and they're on horseback the entire time and there's a montage of them going through another village on the way to between the locales mm-hmm. uh so it's yeah it, it takes quite a, a while yeah so they're basically going from the center of the country to the farthest south you can go and still be in a major area. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, but, that's the, that's the, I mean, that's yeah. the kind of geographical situation. But they're, they're going to Julian, uh, this, which, you know, we were, we we're discussing what Julian is. It's a, a fictional place. Yeah. I think, um, I don't it, think it's a real place. Yeah. We're, 
we're discussing it's a, a hospital slash city or slash village. Yeah. Um, but it's where the the doctor from the very beginning of the episode is from. That's where he set up his practice. Mm-hmm. And they're going to they're trying to find him because they want to, they want answers about the king. Right. And is, how is he alive yeah. or is he dead? Is he alive in is is he alive or is he dead? And how did his condition deteriorate so quickly? What's going on with him? Right. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting about this is it's kind of in that way ends up being. I know it sounds like, by the way, we're spoiling this. We are not. It no, is no, super. This no, is, no, this is yeah. the setup. This is. Yeah, uh, this the, is all exposition and. Setup. Yeah. The um, normally in this kind of story, what you would have is who, you know, did they kill the king? Did they poison the king? But in this case, you know that the rival faction did definitely did not want the king dead. Right. So it's all about are they are they faking that the king's still alive? Right. And, and now and now he knows there's some kind of monster in there, but he can't he doesn't associate it with being the king. Yeah. His father. And it, another not spoiler is is the king a zombie? We know as the audience that the yeah. king is clearly a zombie. The, the opening credits are. Even before we get anything, the opening credits are a montage of the king becoming a zombie. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it is. they're beautiful opening credits. You know, I, yeah. I, I like to skip Netflix opening credits and don't skip this one. At least for the first episode, do not skip the new opening credits. They are beautiful. Actually, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't skip it later because um, some of the details of that, of, of the zombification process become mm-hmm. plot points later on and so yeah good point just, just to watch it just to just so you're kind of aware of what they're talking about no knowing knowing that won't change won't change how you understand that uh you're still you still know you're watching someone become a zombie through some weird yeah combination of <laughs> acupuncture and i think pearls and flowers yeah. and uh you know all sorts of stuff going on again not a spoiler it's right in the right. opening credits yes. we've spoiled the first 20 seconds for you there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Juhyeon, I'm I'm butchering this. My Korean is much worse than yours. I don't even know. Um, you might not be butchering it because I don't think it's a real that I don't think that's a real okay. place. The, you could just say the hospital. Okay. So. The the hospital. Yeah. Uh where the doctor and his assistant are from um as this is all going on uh in Juhyeon, uh, there are there's this nurse uh nurse Sobi um, she is there with her other nurses, and she is treating sick and starving and injured people. Uh, we get, and this goes back to what you were saying about war and famine. Uh, we get the sense that this there has been a really bad war, yes, uh, and or a famine. Usually, famine follows a war, right? So she, Sobi, and her fellow nurses, they're treating. People who are they're injured and they're mostly starving. I mean, they they are hurt, but they're mostly just starving. Uh, we get the sense that there's there's been no animals around to to hunt for a very long time. And we'll talk more about that plot point later, not for the spoiler, but for this episode. Um, and one of her patients is a guy named An Hyun, um, and he's he's sitting there and he's going to be more or he's. He's going to be an important player, but for now, he's just kind of a, he's another jerkwad. He's, he's sitting around and she's feeding everyone broth and it's, you know, just whatever she can find, whatever she can forage for in hot water. And he's kind of uh, ragging on the broth. He's saying, "Eh, it doesn't really matter that the other people drink, or he doesn't matter that we drink this broth. It's not nutritious enough. It's not going to sustain us. And uh, I think they mentioned that, you know, the government isn't going to send us any real food, so we're all going to die anyway. Yeah. And that's that's pissing off Sobi and the other nurses because she wants to get the other people to eat the food, and they're not going to eat it if if he keeps saying this kind of stuff. Yeah. The, that's the, important. It, the people aren't exactly so much starving as they're dying from poor nutrition, it seems like. I mean, they're not they're, yeah, super that's, gaunt, that's more important. Yeah. but there is the sense that they're all getting sick because of bad nutrition. Right. And there, there's mothers, there's nursing mothers and there are babies and there are children in this hospital that are trying to, trying to get something to eat. And there's no, nothing nutritious for them to eat. And they're all waiting for this doctor who's been in Hanyang to come back with his assistant 
to bring uh, medicine and food and other supplies. I think that's kind of, that's what, either what they were hinting at or what they said. And he's been gone for a long time treating this king. They haven't heard from him in a while. I, I'm pretty sure that's what's, I think that's what the plot was at that point. Yeah, well, he's he's basically in Seoul and they're down in Busan. Yeah. So they're hundreds and hundreds of miles away. Yeah. And yeah, and they hadn't heard anything. Right. And so he, they see the doctor returning, and they're really excited to see him, but he is in shock. He's dragging a human-sized box with him. Right. And sure Well, they, enough, they seem to recognize, she asks what it is, but I think it's pretty obvious even to everyone there that it's a coffin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they, they pepper him with questions, and he's kind of unresponsive, and he's kind of given them non-answers about what happened in Hanyang and he just kind of drops the box and it opens up and sure enough there's his assistant inside and he says prepare a burial and I'm gonna go inside to my office and that's exactly what he does he doesn't give anyone any answers as to what happened and they try to stop him they try to ask what happened and he just kind of pieces out nothing to say nothing to do he doesn't say anything about the starving people and dying people inside Julian. He just goes inside of his office. And the corpse, is, I mean, we, we saw what happened at the very beginning of the episode, what happened to this young man. Um, it looks like he's been clawed to death, not by an animal, but by human. And it, so we, we, we as modern, as a modern audience look at this and it is, <laughs> we, we immediately suspect zombie. Uh, (laughs) attacked by zombie you're probably a zombie but yeah they don't have zombies or a concept of zombies so right uh, no one there is thinking i wonder if he was attacked by zombies right and so they bring him inside the the young boy the assistant with not really having anything else to do uh sobi and the rest of the nurses they go out to collect medicinal herbs and forage for whatever food they can and when they return the cauldron has been lit and there's smoke coming out of julian and which is not the first time you see smoke coming out of a city it's a kind of a recurring theme throughout this series again not a spoiler kind of a spoiler but really not well, I mean, you no, see no, the, no one will be surprised. You see this in the trailer. No one will be surprised that a zombie that a zombie apocalypse uh, goes goes badly. Right. <laughs> so she, they, all the nurses come back, and Sobi looks around, and everyone is eating. Everyone is eating meat. Sobi is shocked. She's like, "What happened?" And An Hyun, the jerkwad guy, patient from earlier, he says, "Well, I caught a deer." Uh, not too long ago, it was in the mountains, and she's kind of suspicious about that. She says, I didn't see any deer, and there hasn't been any wild game for a long time. And he says, well, you know, just, I found it, don't ask too many questions. And, you know, it's just a miracle, just, you know, I got these people to eat, didn't I? Which, right now, that should raise some questions for the audience, but, you know, it, it not certainly for is the suspicious. people of Julian. Yeah. Yes. So she goes to refill a bowl for a family. She ladles some broth and some meat into this bowl. Sure enough, she finds a human finger. What An Hyun had done was he chopped up the body of the doctor's assistant and cooked it into a soup for the rest of the patients of this hospital. As you Which, do. I mean, as you do. I mean, cannibalism when you're starving is... It's certainly understandable. That's what people resort to when there's nothing else to eat. Um, And these people were certainly starving for something nutritious. But, you know, for us as the audience, we know this is not going to be good. This boy was just um, ravaged by a a zombie king. (laughs) Guess what's going to happen to the rest of these people? In this case, literally a zombie king. Literally a zombie king. Not just the king of the zombies, but a zombie king. And after a few minutes... Everyone in in uh, Julian who has eaten this, you know, boy boy soup, uh, starts throwing up and thrashing around and convulsing, and then uh, essentially dying. Their human bodies start dying, and then they rise, no longer fully human, 
and Hungry for Human Flesh. And there's this very iconic scene from the trailer. It's one of the nurses. It's not Sobe, but mm -hmm. one of the nurses, um, just she's standing in the middle of a bunch of zombies just kind of devouring her. They're just crowding around her, and, and she's just dead herself just standing there. It's, it's a beautiful shot, very disturbing, but, but uh, very, very iconic. And there, all hell breaks loose. Yes. And that's the first episode. Yes. That's how the first episode ends. And that, that is the all hell breaks loose. Only, <laughs> it only gets crazier from there. Yes, it's it's I, I watched that first episode and I'm like, oh, my God, this is not a typical Hollywood zombie story that us Westerners are used to seeing. This is right. definitely fresh and new. And I can't wait to watch the other five episodes. And that's what's really good about this show is that it's only six episodes. It will not take you that long to watch. You can knock this out in a weekend. You will knock it out in the weekend because at the yes. end of every episode, you'll You'll be compelled yeah. to you'll you'll be compelled to binge it for sure. There's there's a cliffhanger on every episode, including the last one. Yes, <laughs> which is unfair, but really really good. So let's uh, so now that we've set up the situation, why don't we talk a little bit about the things which people might want to know more about? Sure. So we talked about the geography and the historical context. I guess we want to talk about Confucianism a little bit. Yeah, let's uh, go ahead get. Give everyone a, a very general breakdown of Confucianism. Okay, so the they keep calling them Confucian scholars, and so essentially Confucianism is a is an ethical and philosophical structure uh, which governs Korean society at the, at that time, uh, and is still super powerful there. And there are one important element f that plays into the politics of a lot is that there are what are called the five relationships. Um, and, and the five relationships have to do with who has authority over whom. Okay, so the five relationships are ruler to minister or ruler to subject, uh, father to son, husband to wife, uh, elder sibling or elder brother to younger uh, sibling, and then friend to friend. And the friend to friend usually means the more the older friend over the, the other friend, over the younger friend. And these relationships, aside from the political side of it, these relationships are really troublesome for everyone because when the king is, becomes a zombie, aside from just the, sci the, the science fiction side of it, their society legitimately doesn't know how to handle that. So if the king is sort of alive, but not really alive, do I owe him? What is my relationship to him? Do mm -hmm. I, what do I owe him? Uh, and is the, both as his subject, uh, both as his uh, son, in, in the case of one character, there's a point in time where early on where, you know, the crown prince is chastised by his, I guess, stepmother for not showing him enough filial piety, even though he mm -hmm. seems to be her age or maybe older than her, uh, but he is supposed to uh, be under her authority because of that relationship. Um, and so throughout this show, you see it's because it's not just someone has died and thus everything has been restructured, but instead someone's in this in-between phase, everyone's having to negotiate this. And so uh, you see relationships between people which really get complicated. So, for example, the crown prince and his, uh, the head of his personal guard. Uh, you see their relationship. The crown prince clearly has authority over him, but there are points in which he's be trying to become friendlier with him and he makes what he thinks are jokes, uh, but because he doesn't really understand what it's like to live, to, to have someone have that much authority over you, the things that he's saying uh, are more frightening. They're more threats. Yeah, yeah, they're more threats. And he doesn't mean them that way, uh, but he kind of has to learn to do that. And this is part of a long Korean tradition of really interrogating, uh, really interrogating the Confucian five relationships. So uh, in the show notes, you'll find, I actually have already have a video where I talk about uh, a Korean folktale called the tale of Hong Kiltong, which is kind of like a, a Robin hood story. 
um, a really, really, really famous work of medieval literature and its relationship to the show Kingdom. And we're not going to talk about it here today because I really explore it there, but you can find that in the show notes. But the tale of Hong Tong also is kind of about the limits of these Confucian relationships. And whenever they do this, typically, and I, I don't, of course, don't know what's going to happen in the second season of the show, but typically they don't end up saying these Confucian relationships are stupid or we don't like this social structure. There's nothing like that. It's rather dealing with what happens when things interrupt that, uh, interrupt the yeah. normal flow of those relationships. Uh, and so the king not being alive and not being dead, and then a whole bunch of characters not being alive and not being dead. Schrodinger's king. Yes, right. Uh, you know, as more and more zombies occur, mean that people don't really understand how to negotiate the normal social relations. So in a contemporary zombie movie for us, someone becomes a zombie, boom, shoot him in the head. Like, it's that simple. Yeah. A, they don't know what zombies are, but B, that isn't how you would treat someone. Uh, it reminds me of the first season of The Walking Dead, I think, where there's a character who uh, just can't seem to shoot his wife, uh, who's now a zombie. Uh, yeah. And the, the, that's really part of their relationship. And a lot of it, a, a lot of the subtext of this has to do with questioning, well, what would happen with our relationships if this happened? Because the just shoot him in the head aside from the fact that there aren't that many rifles in this world uh, is, <laughs> is less of an option. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting you bring up Confucianism because that's actually one of the themes I wanted to talk to you about with mm -hmm. this show is that uh, this, this series, at least this season really exemplifies Confucianism and, and at least three of the tenants or the three tenants of Confucianism in, in terms of humaneness Mm -hmm. um, being altruism and goodness toward humanity and how that's really exemplified in the crown prince and, uh, and so be as well. Uh, the crown prince, how unlike the governor, which is not a character we mentioned just yet, but he crops up in later episodes, um, how compared to the governor, the crown prince is he's trying not to be like the other royals, how he, he believes that just because of his status, as someone who grew up in, uh, as like this pampered prince, and even though he was illegitimate, um, he doesn't want to be someone who abandons people. He doesn't want to be someone who treats people, who treats yeah. the peasants as uh, disrespectfully. Um, whereas, you know, other characters who have status and social acclaim, they don't think of the the peasants of the other towns as being anything um yeah. you see that a lot Sobi also she she's really single-minded and and focused on helping everyone uh whether they're alive or dead right and yeah because she you see this and she she wants to help people she she wants to find a, a cure and again that's a mild spoiler there but she wants to find a cure for this disease and and uh, help people, whether they're alive or dead. Um, in terms of filial piety, or piety, mm -hmm. respect for your elders and parents, the crown prince has it for his father, um, and Myung has it for the crown prince. I, I found that relationship kind of, you know, both elder brother, younger brother, friend and friend, but also kind of father-son. Too. Yes. And one of the complicated things that happens throughout is the crown prince, he wants to be good and he wants to be kind, but he's lived this super, he really has lived a super privileged life. And mm -hmm. so he has to learn things from people who he's supposed to have such authority over. Yeah. Uh, that sometimes there's a, sometimes there's this kind of struggle to kind of figure out what their relationship is supposed to be. Because mm -hmm. ironically, if everything succeeds, if in the end uh, they manage to put down the zombie apocalypse uh, and he becomes king, he will have ultimate authority over them even more so right. than he does now. Uh, these same people who are, have a lot to teach him uh, at the moment mm -hmm. about humaneness, for example. He also, there's another character that you meet later on who I, I won't reveal 
who they are, but uh, one of the main characters meets a mentor, or uh, one of their mentors, and that relationship is very um, parent and child. And it's 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 almost touching. It, well, it, it is touching. It, it's yeah. very touching, and, and the the amount of respect that falls into that relationship, I I really I was impressed with how the show handled that. Even though it comes in later in the show, mm-hmm. I I I found that to be a I found that to be well developed. Well, and I think too, like so there are like with most Korean shows, there's two kinds of villains. There's serious villains and comic villains. Uh, leaving aside the comic villains, the serious villains, even though they're being villainous, they're doing it. They're lawful evil to put it mm-hmm. <laughs> to put it in a nerd culture way. They are doing yeah. it in a way where. They also have their own people who they have to be loyal to and they have to do the things that they're supposed to do. So, for example, I I don't know. It certainly messes up the social structure. But from a from a benevolent from a from a filial piety point point of view, I don't know if my husband or father died and then I made him into a zombie. But they don't think of it as a zombie. Like I'm kind of bringing him back to life. Is that disrespectful or is it a kind of ultimate filial piety where I'm bringing him, you know, I'm set. I'm bringing him back from the dead. Yes. Right. (laughs) So, I mean, the, the, the comic, the comic villains are just comically villainous. Right. But the, the, the serious villains, they have the same web of relationships that they have to negotiate. uh, And they're negotiating it for evil but they are negotiating those same relationships. Yeah. And then with ritual, and I, I found this fascinating too, because there, when we're dealing with the undead in this show uh, and with burial practices and how ritual being a third tenant of Confucianism, um, their respect for the dead and their burial practices, even with the undead running around, how they take burial practices very, very seriously. And you see that with the one woman who absolutely refuses or at least puts up a a very big fuss about not wanting her son to be desecrated, not her her son's corpse to be desecrated, have his head removed or his body burned when she finds out that that's what they're doing with the undead. Because there's there's a scene later on in, in the season where after the undead rise, they decide, no, they're gonna have to go around and, and remove heads because that's what you do with zombies. Or they're going to have to burn the corpses, and that is right. not something you do with the yeah. with bodies in this society, and, and that's custom to bury them because that's showing respect for the dead. And this woman yeah. is her. This woman and her son, they're part of a, a very prestigious family with some social status and a claim. And she comes forward and says, "No, how dare you?" And the crown prince says, "No, this. I'm sorry. This is what we have to do to stem this outbreak." And uh, she does well, not like th- this, that. Yeah, this this ends up resolving in in complicated ways. Yeah, and I, I we won't spoil that now. But yeah. uh, and and then just all the, all these tenants, humaneness and filial piety and ritual. Anyone who subverts those or who goes against those tenants, uh, they tend to wind up dead, or they're considered or by the or deadish, yeah, <laughs> right. or undead. Or they're considered by the show to be a villain, and yeah. I thought because yeah, those that Confucianism being so important to the show and to that culture, I I thought that was a, a very important theme to pick out. Well, one important element of Confucianism, of course, just the idea of creating social stability. I mean, the point of these five relationships is if everyone if everyone holds to their place, society will hold together and everyone can live in peace and etc. But I think also, you know. In traditional Korean religious belief, uh, I should say today, this belief has faded out and it's mostly overtaken by Christianity and and Buddhism. But in traditional Korean shamanistic belief, you know, you you worship the the ancestors of the dead or sorry, your dead ancestors. Well, that's that is way more like we don't worship our dead ancestors. What happens when you're when they are a zombie or could become a zombie. 
What happens if you don't know if this person is going to rise as a zombie or not, and they're dead, desecrating them, you, you continue your relationship with them. And we used to have, I think in the West, we used to have a little bit more of a sense of that. So for example, if you look in old, old churches, you'll see that the, the cemetery is right there. Uh, Mm -hmm. next to the church. And so when you went to church every Sunday and for every wedding and every, every important life event and weekly, you went by, you know, your, your dead parents graves or your dead family members. And it was all part of understanding that you were doing this in this larger uh, structure. And we, for various reasons, not really doctrinal, uh, more having to do with things like zoning laws. uh, We don't, we don't do that as much. But in in Korea, where having the body lie in in the home, even today when most people live in apartments, it's still often the case. You have the body there in the home. People come in for depending up to a week uh, to view the body. And the dead person comes home, basically, still. Their body is there. And then every person has a, depending on your relationship with them, you often have a kind of, uh, you don't just weep or wail, you have an actual conventional kind of weeping or wailing that you do. One kind if you're their child, one kind if you're their spouse, you know, a, a different kinds. And all that, those rituals of mourning, which are really important to Confucianism and to traditional sh- uh, Korean shamanistic religion, all that is pressed hard up against this idea of uh the zombie apocalypse. And so if you look at some of the more recent Korean horror movies, like uh, Last Train to Busan, where we find out, like, apparently Busan is like totally swarming with zombies nowadays. Uh, <laughs> uh, but um, Last Train to and Busan. What's going on with Busan? I don't know. I haven't been back for a few years, so I, that's possibly <laughs> happened. Um, you have a little bit of this pressure, but today fewer and fewer people actually keep with those practices. And it's far more, it's far more Christian. Uh, I mean, the Christian influence is really strong uh, in Korea. Korea is the second, the U.S. sends out more mission, Christian missionaries than any other country in the world. Korea is number two, despite how much smaller their population is. And they are likely to overtake us. Uh, so, you know, for Christianity, like it's, le- it's less of a problem, even, even with Christian sects that were protecting the body uh, as the image of God is important is nowhere near like you're not going to worship them after they're dead. Right. In fact, it's forbidden to worship the dead in Christianity, whereas here it's a requirement. So it becomes a really big it's. So I think even in more modern Korean or Korean movies set in the modern era, you don't get this strong sense that you get in this one. And that's going to be that's going to be one of the tensions uh, I'm making hand motions now so everyone can see it on the podcast. Uh, that's gonna, his hands together. Yes, that's going to be one of the tensions that are that constantly pull on all the characters. And so they'll do things which we might think, well, well why are you being so stupid in doing that thing? Well, uh, if you lived in 17th century Korea, you would be far more sympathetic to their behaviors, I think, than we might be otherwise. Yeah. And I, I guess the last theme I wanted to talk about was the theme of big surprise cannibalism yeah and that's that's literal cannibalism and figurative cannibalism yeah um and it's you know people who eat the undead to become the undead mm-hmm. and you see that with uh, the the patients at uh, julian um eating the the dead body of the doctor's assistant then the undead who eat the living to stay the undead that's the king yes. who yeah the king who You'll, and you'll see this in later episodes. They're, they actually feed the king bodies of the you know healthy people who are still living um, in order to keep him Alive-ish. undead. Right. Yeah, <laughs> aliveish in his Moving. undead status. Yeah, right. and then you've got people or the living who prey on the undead, the the chos in this case, to keep their own line alive. Yeah, um, and that's yeah that's the 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 chos who are you know, preying on the king who makes sure that the king is staying dead so they'll stay alive. 
And uh, then we've got the living who prey on the living, in this case, the, the governor, who, again, we're, we're not talking too much about him, but the, also the royals of, and how did you pronounce it? It's not pronounced Donghai, but... Uh, uh, Donghai. Donghai. Yeah. Donghai. Uh, yeah, the, the royals of Donghai to save themselves when they get on this boat. And that's, that's in a later episode, but uh, they clearly, they, yeah, they don't, they don't care about the peasants. They don't care about um, their safety. And, and this is a, again, minor spoiler, but the, this city is about to be besieged by zombies as well. And they're waiting for um, this. This is the last boat, and they, they're being told to stay behind and wait with the peasants by the crown prince, and they don't listen to him. And the royals just take off on this boat, and they leave the peasants behind. And to me, I just I thought, you know, it's it's not just literally people eating people; it's also just preying upon other people as well. I thought yeah. that that theme of cannibalism just you know ransacked this this show. Yeah, I think what's good about this show, one of the many good things about the show, is that if you were to somehow motivate the plot regardless and remove the zombie theme altogether, it would still be extremely compelling what's going mm-hmm. on. Like politically what's going on is compelling in terms of the family drama, what's going on is compelling. And then of course, while all that's going on, you've got and So you have the figurative cannibalism, which is as important as the literal cannibalism in the show. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so do we want to finish here and then go on to full on spoilers? We do. Let's do so, our recommendations. Yeah, yeah, we'll do recommendations and plugs. What do you What do you have for us, Nina? Do you have anything? Uh, I do. I want to recommend Sense Eight, which is another rec- which is another Netflix show that was canceled after two seasons and a movie. Um, Sense Eight has a very expansive and expensive plot, <laughs> and one of the actors in it is Duna Bay, who is in um, Kingdom who plays Sobi, the nurse. Yes. She, yes. Sense8 is a multicultural, multiracial, multi-everything cast directed by the Wachowskis, created by the Wachowskis, um, starring people, again, of all nationalities and creeds, uh, science fiction, uh, gone before its time. It took me about four episodes to really get into it. It's extremely uh, dense and all over the place. And your mileage may vary. I've had people tell me they absolutely cannot stand it. And I've had people tell me they absolutely fall in love with it. But uh, so if yeah, you are It, it in, is definitely a show that you're not going to walk away from and think, meh. Yeah. Like you're, it's, it's, it's doing it's bold divisive. things. Yeah. yeah it's, it's doing bold It's divisive. Things. Yes. So I'm, I, while we're on the subject of Kingdom, I do want to recommend Sense8 that has Duna Bay in it. Yeah. Um, I actually have a bunch of uh, 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 recommendations. Um, I should plug my own book since it's a zombie book from A to Zombie. Please do. And there is a, there is a, uh, this is a spoiler from my own book. There is a Korean character in there who's supposed to be medieval, but in no point is it said he's Korean and he's from the Middle Ages. So, Mm. you know, that's a little spoiler there. Uh, Actually, did you even know that? I did not know. That. Oh, yeah, what are the? Yeah, like all the characters in there have got a even uh, have got a, a. You know, even the long dead characters. I have a background in my mind for them, but I don't. Exp- I'll give all the background for every character. Uh, well, very, he's a he's a minor character, so that will help your enjoyment, not in the least <laughs> probably. Um, I'm going to reread it with that in mind to see if anything sticks out. Yeah, I, I've also I think. Uh, I don't know if I've mentioned in previous podcasts or not, but the medieval uh, medievals.net, uh, Danielle Sabalski has medieval podcast and she actually has a particular episode called surviving the zombie apocalypse, the medieval way, which is about how you, if you lived in the middle ages in the European middle ages, how you would use the, the technologies uh, and the resources that are available to you to survive the zombie apocalypse. It's really a fun one and it's not just fun, but it also, tells you a lot about like how walls were constructed in the middle ages and what sort of medicines were important and this kind of thing. So uh, of course I always recommend that podcast, but specifically surviving the zombie apocalypse, the medieval way. Um, 
And I wasn't going to recommend another thing, but uh, uh, I got a book called More Critical Approaches to Comics, Theories and Methods, uh, edited by Matt Brown, Randy Duncan, and Matthew J. Smith. And I got it because I was interested in it. And then I started reading it and I opened to the dedication and it's among, among other people. I'm not alone. It's dedicated to me. And I'm like, I did not know oh that, that the book was dedicated. So, which tells me that I need to probably finish my, probably <laughs> finish my, my comic book, academic book that ha that's uh, there's an expensive price for that, which is for libraries for the hardback, but the paperback is uh, far more affordable for the individuals. That's more critical approaches to comics. We'll have a link to that. But specific to this, um, if you're interested in, this has nothing to do with zombies, but if you're interested in Chosun Dynasty Korea, um, there's a great comic book series called Yi Soon Shin. Uh, the first series is called Yi Soon Shin Warrior and Defender, and the second one's called Yi Soon Shin Fallen Avenger. Uh, we'll have a link to those. And these take place also in the Chosun Dynasty about 100 years beforehand, and they have a lot more like naval battles in it. Uh, which uh, there aren't so many naval there aren't so many naval battles in this. This is far more land based, uh, but uh, it's really interesting. And Yi Sun Shin is a real historical figure, though if you read it, you'll be able to see some uh, some liberties were taken. Uh, but if you want some more pop culture having to do with medieval Korea, try the Yi Sun Shin comic book series. No zombies, though. No zombies. Uh, Unless, uh, maybe he'll have a third series where suddenly zombies show up, but if so, I haven't seen those. We should probably mention that Pop Medieval is now available on iTunes and Spotify and wherever podcasts are now available as well. Yes. And uh, in addition to now having our show notes pages finally available at profawesome.com backslash uh, Pop Medieval. Um, yes. All right. Okay, so do we want to move on uh, to end this and uh, go on to the super super spoiler spoiler rama episode? We do. Let's let's go ahead and do that. Okay. Well, so that's the end of this episode. So, West Thu Hall, Nina. West Thu Hall, Doc. Pop Medieval was recorded in our Nerd Haven studio. Your hosts are Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina Matthews. Our audio engineer is Engineer Mike. Original music provided by Dr. John Jenner. More information, visit our website at profawesome.com slash That's P-R-O-F-A-W-E-S-O-M-E dot com slash Thank you for listening.